All right. Let's begin, because we're running a little late. Well, I'm a little late. Um, okay, so next week is our last book study. So finish the, cha- uh, finish the book, three chapters. It's, uh, it's going to be great. My favorite, one of my favorite, my favorite chapter is the next chapter, chapter 12, because uh, you get to meet the Sarah Smith character. Um, okay. So this last week we read, or supposedly read, chapters 10 and 11. The main characters, obviously, are the narrator, George MacDonald. Those were introduced, I think, well, narrator, beginning of the book, and George MacDonald was uh, last week. So this week, uh, the three main character, or new characters are Robert's wife, the mother love ghost, and uh, the ghost with a lizard. <laughs> and then, of course, they're, uh, they're solid people who are working with them. Although I guess the ghost with the lizard, I don't know, was that a solid person that was with them or was it, was it a, somebody else? Yeah, was it, a, uh, was it an angel? It was, right? Okay. I didn't, yeah, you know, sometimes he uses, so he uses the word ghost interchangeably with, you know, these people from uh, hell and, so, anyways, yes, okay, good. All right, well, the, the, and those three characters, Robert's wife, the mother love ghost, and the ghost with the lizard, now, I think, uh, kind of accentuate what we've probably already have learned earlier in the book, but it also adds another layer of inquiry of our conversion experience, or what exactly it looks like. So, uh, in my uh, discussion guide, those are pearls right there. They're not chronological, so we can talk in any way we want to. Um, So, but does anyone have any highlights from their own reading from this last week that they would like to ask about or bring up right away? Mary? I, I thought the lizard... Yeah, well, first of all, uh, see, I, when I first read it, because I hadn't read the book in a while, I had to say, well, wait a second, I thought I knew what was going on here, but maybe I don't. So, first of all, what's the lizard? I think the lizard is... Or, or what does it represent, I mean? It represents sin and those sort of pets and yeah. things that we know we don't, we don't like it because it, they whisper in our ear and we don't like it. We don't want it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do it. But when it comes right down to, I can get rid of it for you. Well, no, let's not be hasty. Right. We actually like it just a little bit. We don't, because we are afraid that if it goes away, it's going to change who we are. Yeah. So the, well, the ghost too, the ghost was oily, which I thought, I, I didn't quite understand the ghost. He was described as oily and darker, I guess. See, now I got towards the end that it was a lust thing. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what I figured. You know, so maybe that was just a representation of the... Kind of swarmy, yeah, gross, yeah. But, um, yeah, so the whole thing about the lizard, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think Mary's kind of onto something, is that it's like this pet sin. Um, on a certain level, he was able to travel pretty far. It seems like he was traveling farther, and he was on his way back from uh, wherever he was at. And so... 
you know, the sin wasn't this all-consuming sin versus some of the ones we've seen where, uh, you know, like they just can't, they can't get anywhere. This per, uh, oily ghost guy was able to uh, get pretty far. But, of course, there came a point in time where the pet sin needed to really be eradicated. And the opportunity presented itself, and now he wasn't sure if he wanted to get rid of it. What were some of the excuses, though, that he said about when the angel said, can I kill it? You know, I don't know, did he get the image that the angel was really, he was excited to kill it? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a li- it was a little bit strange for me reading it. It was a little scary for me to be honest. Okay, but anyways, back to uh, the li- the guy. What is he? Uh, what were some of the excuses that he had raised about the pet lizard? What you know? How could he deal with it? I guess. Well, if I could just, it, it'll. If I can just get it to quiet now. Yeah. Right. Like if it, it'll, if it would just quiet down, it'd be okay. Yeah. So it still exists. It can still be there. But if it would just be a little quieter and not be constantly. Right. Yeah, El- Ellen. And he said he wasn't feeling that well that day, so that wasn't a good day to kill the Right. <laughs> the gradual process. Yeah, which was really interesting. George McDonald said uh, there's no, or no, the angel might have said that. There's no gradual process doesn't work. And then he said, maybe just not at this moment or a different moment, and then the angel said something very profound. This moment contains all moments. Which that's when he wanted to run back and talk to his own doctor. Right. Get, you know, get a quote unquote second opinion. Right. Because he didn't want to be called a college. <laughs> Um, yeah, a moment that contains all moments. So the image is all of time filling up that, 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 that place. So there's a word in the Bible, polaroma, which is the fullness of time. And the Apostle Paul uses that as, as a moment to describe when Jesus comes into the world. So imagine like... Uh, the moment being like a cup, and then all of time being, you know, the water that fills up the cup. It's, it's the pitcher, just completely. It's at that moment, everything is, everything hinges on that moment for the oily ghost. There's no more going back, obviously, and he really can't go forward. This is the moment where it's either going to be all or nothing. And so it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, well, it's eternal consequences. Because I think the, the, the guy said the day is about to... Yeah, there's no more. Also, the angel or fire or whatever, said, I can't kill it without your permission. Right. Because the ghost said, why are you asking me? Why don't you just go just, ahead and... Just do it yourself, yeah. I said, I can't, not without your permission. Yeah, so this is very interesting. So, I mean, this is one of these things, right, where we lament to God, God, why can't you just, just, just take care of this? But if this oily person or ghost is really describing who we are, 
we might say that, but we're not we don't actually know what that means. Like we're not willing to give up entirely. And I, I thought that was a very powerful image where you have to get to the point where you say, yes, Lord, whatever it takes. Rachel. I was going to say something along that. You know, it seems like kind of, to me, all, all of these people, you know, they want to control. They want to have the control. They right. Just, you know, well, I can keep the lizard under control. And, you know, if, as long as I can control my husband, then he'll do the things that I want him to do. Right. You know, you let me see my son, like the mother. You know, right. It's all about control. They all have the, they, they can't just give it up. That's right. And, of course, you know, the irony of ironies, right, is they, the, the more they want control, what is actually happening? Yeah, right. The more, the more that they are being controlled by what they want to control. So the lizard, of course, his whole excuse is, hey, I, you know, as long as it quiets down, it'll be fine. I, you know, I'll be able to take care of it. But it's the lizard that's actually dictating, you know, what he does and, you know, where he goes. Obviously, the wife is... It, Penultimate. I mean, it's it's the ultimate uh, irony, right? She wants to lay control of her husband, but by laying control of her husband, she's being controlled. She's being controlled by it. it it's it's really a, kind of a twisted image. Um, yeah, I I uh, yeah that that whole the wife and the husband wife thing right there was just really oofta. That was, that was hard for me to read because, um, and not just because husband and wives, but I see it in a lot of relationships just in general, that sort of thing. I mean, not, uh, sometimes to that degree, but mostly not. I mean, mo- mostly it's not to that degree. But. And then uh, the, uh, the, the mother, I mean, she wanted to control, she wanted to have her son, she wanted to be in charge of it, but of course... That was the very thing that was going to keep her out of heaven. And that was one of the reasons why he, was, he died. That's pretty, hard. That's pretty harsh. He was taken away from her to save him and her, basically. Okay. There was a, another hand up. Or Shirley. Also with the lizard, um, it was interesting. There was a very profound statement there where they said, I'll kill him, and he stated what he said. No, if you kill him, you kill me. Right. And so he's really admitting that he wants to keep the little sins and keep them rather than turn back to the first commandment. He does not want to turn everything over right. to the Lord and have the Lord as the direction. That's right. I'm concerned about that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the first commandment's all over these chapters. Like Rachel says, it's we want to be in control of everything. Um, what, what, what the interesting thing is is that these three examples even though they might be extreme on, on a certain level, they're all very practical. I mean, you could probably think about yourself or your own experiences, and you could you can come up with three examples to match these, <laughs> these you know, to, to mimic these people. Um, the, uh, uh, okay, so, yeah, so, hey, uh, I'm going to kill it. Can I kill it? Can I kill it? Can I kill it? And the guy's like, no, no, it's hurting me. You're almost burning me up. You know, it's, it's kind of this scary bit. Now, the thing is, though, is that, of course, when the angel kills the lizard, what happens to the man or the oily ghost? What's that? 
he becomes solid, but uh, what, what, like, is he's thrown to the ground. What's that? He's hurt. He's thrown to the ground. He is, he, he, well, for me, image-wise, image I'm picturing it as a movie. He's thrown to the ground. Probably for an instant, he looks dead. Uh, of course, the lizard, too, is eradicated. And what was mastering the oily ghost transforms into a solid man who now is master of the beast itself. Right? It's this, it's this great image. Holly. Right. But what exactly? He well, that's true. Well, I, the the uh, one of the great images of this is from uh, Michelangelo Caravaggio, the conversion of Saint Paul. Google it. You should. Uh, the Apostle Paul is actually on on the ground. On his back. And there's a large white horse that he had fallen off. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. I, I, it was a very powerful image. So I think Holly's on to, on to something. Yeah, Nancy. There's so many parallels in the Narnia stories. Right. Oh, yeah, right. good way to get these ideas across the stories. Yeah, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, Eustace. Yeah. He had a... He was a dragon, and then he he was killed basically, by his skin was ripped off. Ouch! You know the thing. Oh, so I read in the chapter uh, uh, in the chapel the story of Saul and Amalek. I I, I edited it. So First Samuel fifteen. I only I I did not. So there's, I'm going to tell the story for those who might not remember it, because I'm sure First Samuel 15 is everyone's favorite chapter in the Bible. So King Saul, of course, you know he he's anointed king, and God has a has a, a a job for him, and that is to utterly destroy the uh, Amalek, uh, just completely wipe them out. I mean, everything. Animal, children, women, widows, kings, princes, it doesn't matter. Which sounds awful, right? I mean, this is, I mean, this is part, of our, part of our struggle with the Old Testament. It's, it's just it's terrible. Um, why in the world would God want this utterly destroyed? Now, so this, this is a very interesting thing because... This speaks, I personally think, this is a, a very graphic image of what's happening to these people individually in, in, the, in the book, The Great Divorce. So Saul says, okay, yes, I'll do that. And he goes with war with Amalek, and, uh, and he uh, wins. Now first, just to kind of show you, he, I edited this out, but he goes to the people who live amongst the Amalekites, and so, uh, I forgot their names. They're like Kenites or something like that. Some people that I don't even know if, if we know anything about them. But he says, you, you better get out because we're going to destroy this and you really shouldn't, you, you don't deserve that. So it, it, what's interesting is he shows mercy to those 
who 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 need it. So Amalek, what what happened? Amalek uh, persecuted and sinned against God and His people as they were journeying from Egypt into the Promised Land. So Saul says to the Kenites or whatever they're they're called, get out, okay? And they get out, and then he just utterly destroys everything, sort of. He uh, keeps the king, Agag, A-G-A-G, Agag, I, I don't know, is it, is it, whatever. Um, and then he takes all the best stuff. But all the stuff that people didn't like or, you know, found gross, they just, he wiped that out. So, of course, now, Samuel the prophet, hears from the Lord, oh, I regret making Saul king. He sinned against me. So Samuel now is out on a mission. Confronts Saul and uh, says, hey, well, you know, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And he's like, yeah, I did. You know, I mean, we kept this good stuff because doesn't God deserve the best? I mean, this is, this is really good. This is a good thing. And Samuel said, no. Does God care more about sacrifices and burnt offerings? Or, or listening to what he says. And of course, the answer should be, do, you know, listening to what he says. God's word gives life, not the sacrifices or burnt offerings. So, uh, so then, what does Saul do? He's like, "Well, the people did that, not me. People actually kept all the good stuff. I, uh, you know, I, 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 I utterly destroyed everything, but these people didn't." Well, that just, that really set off everything. So basically, Saul now, what? He, he's the man with the better idea. This is just one example of how Saul doesn't do exactly what God asks or doesn't go to the full extent. He wants to hang on to the good stuff. He wants to tweak the idea just a little bit because he, you know, he just, he, it's a great idea, God, but you know, we can make it just a little bit better. We can just hang on to something. Uh, well, of course, does anyone know how that story with Amalek ends? It's, 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 all, it's really awful. High schoolers enjoyed it. <laughs> Samuel asks for Agag to come amongst the people. Samuel takes a machete and hacks him to, pe- hacks him to pieces, I think it, it's a literal translation, in front of everybody. It's awful. But... There is no holding back. This is, this, so what we see in these individual lives, we see more on a corporate level in the Old Testament. But each of these people have something that could be construed as not that bad or even good. So like for instance, uh, Robert's wife, she wants to be devoted. She wants to do her duty, right? I mean, a, a wife doing her duty, that's a great thing because... That, you know, husbands and wives who do what they should do and love each other, right? Why, well, of course she doesn't. Just like Saul's idea is not a better idea, it's a terrible idea. She doesn't. It's not that she doesn't do her duty. That's not what she wants. Well, okay. She wants what she wants. I know, but that's not what she says. She says, hey, I did my duty. I always did my duty. She's either fooling herself or, or she's a good politician. Oh, she's in complete denial. I wrote denial on the margin comments quite a bit. Now, the other one is the mother love, right? She loves her, her Michael. That's the same thing. 
She loves Michael. What better love in the world than a mother for her children? Now, this gets, it gets really clear with the mother uh, because not, not only did she have a better idea, but she has a better God, right? I hate your God, she says. I believe in a God of love. Well, here's the thing. So now this is the radical nature of even love, right? Because love, love recognizes what's really happening, true things. And George MacDonald and the narrator have this little discussion about things that can be redeemed and things that shouldn't be redeemed. So the mother love, ghost, her love should be redeemed. That lizard, that needs to die, uh, but even, and not exist anymore. The mother love needs to die also, but when it rises again, it's, it's, it's a true mother love. It's, it's love according to what God has instituted. It's not like she won't love Michael anymore, but she will love him as God intended. And what we'll find out is, is that it will be even better. Oh, I mean, of course, we all know that. I mean, we're reading this. We're like, of course, do it, because it's going to be better than you ever imagined. But she can't. So it's a... Uh, the story in the Old Testament where we see this eradication, this destruction, we actually, this applies to our own life too because there are parts, so there's parts where we must let go completely and not hold anything back because if we do, that, that little pet thing or whatever is going to turn into the very thing that will keep us out of heaven. And away from God, and away from our loved ones too. So it, it's uh, what appears to be like, oh God, did you really have to destroy all the Amalek and Amalekites? I don't know. Mate. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's just, that's what the, that's what the Bible says. Yes, he had to, because what would happen? A little leaven ruins the whole thing, right? Jan. Well, and knowing the history here, when they came out of Egypt and finally got into the promised land, God's command was wipe out everybody. Yeah, the Canaanites, yes. I mean, the whole works there, they were to wipe them out, and they just got tired of doing it. You know, they fought for 30 or 40 years, and then they decided this was just really too much work, and... They went through all the judges' things with everybody, you know, coming in and beating on them, and yeah. now you're up to salt. Yeah. So what happened though, right, is that uh, they didn't they didn't do what God had asked, they and they got married to Canaanite women, and mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, which is, I mean, we have to understand this kind of culturally, right? We can't impose our 21st century views on on this ancient uh, culture. But when you marry someone, you're not marrying for love necessarily, right? I mean, it's just not, we don't understand <laughs> these early ancient ways of marriage. So when you marry someone, you not only marry the person, but you marry the family, which includes the family gods. You know, I mean, so people don't really quite get it when God says don't marry them. He's not talking about like, hey, let's go on a date to you know, Cascade Drive-In Theater and hang out and fall in love with each other. 
He's like, no, don't do that because you're going to start worshiping their gods. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, you can't worship God and somebody else. It's got to be God or that thing. It can't be both. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the conversion experience. Now, this is where uh, it's a little different what happens in, uh, in this scenario. So, like Aaron says, there's no more gradual process. Here on earth, we are given many, many opportunities and second chances. And on a certain level, it appears that it is a gradual process. But to be honest, it's actually very, it's a bunch of individual moments where we are again dying and rising again. Small catechism, wake up daily, make the sign of the cross, you know, drown the old Adam so that the new Adam would rise and follow Jesus. Fourth question to the baptism section, I think. Um, you, you, you know, you're doing this every day. Boom, 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 boom. But after 20 years of doing that every day, some people might say, oh, man, you've changed so much since, you know, you were in your early 20s. You're a grown man, and you're, you're responsible, and, and you're, you're such a, you know, mature Christian. Now, if someone's really honest with themselves, they'd be like, no, I'm not. I, every day I die and rise again with Jesus. Um, but, you know, so some people see it differently. Uh, so that's one of the things that, popped in my head when I said, well, yeah, there is no gradual process, but at the same time, there kind of is. Um, okay. I got on a tangent there, but uh, uh, Krista. Uh, for example, that I think we have to see um, the Old Testament is just uh, the killing or something like that, that God um, is a just God, and uh, he chose a people. Right. And from there, Yes, and, uh, yeah, you know, that's what I was going to say. You know, yep. We, we, we have the uh, minor prophets and joy group, and that's just the same. You know, right. That, that, um, uh, the, uh, and I think um, then uh, in the New Testament, God uh, is uh, creating a new people. Yes, right. Yeah, thank you, Krista. That's why I meant to, to go back, because I had to cl- we have to close the chapter on the Old Testament, is that... You know, God doesn't do that anymore. Why? Well, it's related to the new creation, but it's mainly because where's the one place that he eradicated sin? Not in the people of Amalek, Amalek, Amalek or Canaanites and Perizzites and Jebusites, all these people. Where's the one person that bore the sins of the world that was eradicated? Jesus! So the sins of the whole world were put on Jesus, and Jesus died. He didn't kind of die. He died all the way. He's not mostly dead. He's all the way dead. He's not slightly alive. Um, Again, I love that. I love that Princess Bride scene. Uh, So this is what happens then. So God puts all that stuff onto Christ, and now when Jesus rises again, and those who have been baptized into that death and resurrection, we have a whole new way of doing things now. It's not, it's not through the utter destruction of people, but through repentance, confession, forgiveness, because when one confesses and repents, they are, they're dying. They're, they're dead. 
necros. But through forgiveness that is first received in holy baptism, but also in absolution and the Lord's Supper itself, they rise again. So this is still happening, but in a very, very different way as part of the new creation. All through, well, when we'll, you know, we'll hear about the ascension when Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit because you'll be witnesses of this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the entire world. So now as Christians, we're witnesses to this fact that... And we are the chosen people. Exactly. We're the ones who've been given this God has chosen us, and now this is who we are, to live, to be witnesses, not spectators. Okay. Um, yeah, we're not going to watch it. The, uh, uh, so, Diary of the Country Priest. It's a great movie. It's a French movie. Uh, there's a lovely scene, which is, is too long and slow, and I don't want to put anybody to sleep, but I love it. Between this country priest and a woman who loves her child, who lost her child as a very young boy, and uh, it's a—it's exactly what's read in this the story. She has uh, not nothing's changed since the death of her son. She, she has a daughter too, and a husband. And when nothing changes for her and her daughter, especially as growing up, of course, how does her daughter feel about her mother? She, she hates her. Um, the husband, of course, I mean, he, he's, well, what he does is understandable but not right. He, uh, he hires a governess and has an affair with her because his wife is literally still stuck uh, 20, it's, it's a long time ago. So the ramifications of this woman's uh, sin, because uh, both the woman in the movie and the woman in the book, who is her idol? Who does she really worship? There's two answers, kind of, but her son, it could be her own love. I mean, yeah, so it's a variety of things, but yeah, the son especially. And the uh, George, I think it's George MacDonald. It's either George MacDonald or her brother, which I can't remember his name. Uh, the tyranny of the past and how this past lays hold of her and nothing can happen. And she needs to let go of that. It's very powerful, I think, because I think we do that a lot. We think about all, and so we do it in two ways. One is grief, uh, like like the woman in the movie and the, the the book, where something bad happens, and now it literally will direct our life forever. It still does. You know, I I talking to people, and uh, something that happened to me when I was a kid, it still affects me, and that person is whatever in their 40s or 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, there's things you learn as a child, and that 
will help you grow as a person. But there's also things that happen to you as a child that keep you still stuck in the past. Um, so that, 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 that's the negative. Another thing, too, though, is joy. Uh, good things that happen in the past. And you want to stay in that moment. Those are two things of the tyranny of the past, uh, both positive and negative. And it's, it's such a hard thing to overcome because what happens in the past is it's so hurtful. And we, we, we really believe we can't get past the hurt. But the image in the book is you've got to let go of that in order to go forward. And that's really scary to do. Because you, you kind of feel justified in being hurt. And you think, well, if I let go, that means I have to what? I have to forgive. I have to, ex- you know, uh, uh, you know uh, kind of restore my relationship to whoever or whatever's happened. Um, and that, that's just hard to do. And that's, uh, obviously that's what the woman do- isn't able to do. Or we don't know, right? We don't know if she changes, yeah. The thing that I found interesting was that she was so sure that the, quote, bright person that she would see would be her son. Son, right. And we think back to some of the previous chapters where, you know, the guy ended up being confronted. The bright person was the guy who murdered the other Right, right. And yet here she is, and she's like, where's my kid? Right. You know, why isn't my kid here? And so you've got that dichotomy of she's just not ready. Right. To face her child who's back up in the mountains somewhere. And well, yeah, and what was really hard, I think, for her to hear, too, though, was not, not only was she not ready to see him, but he wasn't ready to see her. No. What's that? Well, yeah, he physically couldn't see her. That's right. All right, but physically, I don't know if he was, whatever. But, yeah, he didn't have the ability to yet to see her, right? Yeah, because she was too invisible. Not because of anything about him. Well, right, but I mean that's the thing. Like, so even if he showed up, he 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 still wouldn't have been able to see her. I mean, it, it's one of those things where. So, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a very powerful image there. That I think uh, probably we could spend a long time thinking about. The one thing too I wanted to I, think about now popped up in it is at the end of the chat. So the woman like goes up in a poof of smoke, right? Uh, Robert's wife, the wife. Did you guys ever wonder what? Because that that's unusual, right? We've never seen that happen. You just seem they just go back to the bus or whatever. Why does she go poof? Does anybody know why? I think it I think it shows something about who she is. Nancy. She kind of lost herself. She's still caught up in this. Thing. Her her sin. She seems to exist only in sin existence. Right. That that's pretty that's pretty crazy. The difference between grumbling and being a grumbler. <laughs> she no longer existed as a as a as a well whatever a ghost or a human or a person, whatever they are. But she literally was yeah she fundamentally became now a, a, a nag. 
And I, I thought that was pretty, that was pretty, I'd forgotten that happened. And when I happened, I was like, oh, wait, what, what happened? And then I realized her sin became who she was. She was completely, she was just no longer who she was. And she was so full of herself that she lost herself. You know, you got that picture, right? I mean, all her ranting and raving. Ay, ay, ay. Well, and besides, you know, she was going to show Hilda, who I'm assuming is her mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, was it her? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who it was. You know, you get the idea. I think it was, was it her mother-in-law? Yeah, okay. Robert's mother. Yeah. Bill, and it was all Hilda's fault that she had to do all this work on Robert to begin with. Yeah, right. Well, they didn't teach him right in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, I mean, that, that whole scenario. Well, and poor, poor Robert, though. Robert, he, he hated her. But did she, she hated him, too, though. Don't you think? I think she despised him. Poor Robert started drinking. and Well, there you go. Um. All right, so, well, okay, so let's see here. Yes. Yeah, I, di- I didn't spend any time on that, uh, but. Which I thought was kind of neat. I mean, it's that rejoicing that. The All the trees clap their hands. Yeah, Isaiah 55, what I mentioned before, yeah. Well, yeah, right. Right. So what happens in heaven when one sinner uh, repents, right? Uh, yeah, so the, I can't remember all the things. So, yeah, so the the grass and trees and. There was just, just this wonderful sound, but I, I took it not so much. It was, well, it was too big, it was too loud or something, but he was able to. I, I took it not as the man, but as. Thing on the shoulder was born into yeah right oh and the two yeah not one in a marriage but yeah right they right oh absolutely so it was restored creation uh, I would say of man and animal the way it was supposed to be this is great well and of course if you're a horse lover you already believe that about you people right you know horse <laughs> the proper place for a person is on the back of a horse because there's nothing better than a horse person. I'm married into a family of horse lovers, so. <laughs> I actually, that, that was one of the first surprising things. Well, I shouldn't say first surprising things, but uh, surprising thing was is that someone can love a, a horse so much. But uh, the second thing was is that they were right. Yes, it's very, it's very majestic, <laughs> the, the, the whole person-animal thing going on. So, yeah. The, I know, I don't have pets. <laughs> This will be my, uh, this, when I get to, when I make this journey from the bus to the uh, mountains, I'll uh, be confronted by some sort of animal lover, and they'll try to meet, try me to, to, to let go of my apathy towards uh, pets or animals or something, I don't know. <laughs> I, did have, I did have fish, and a salamander from school, but I usually killed my fish when I... Drove my Dukes of Hazard car into or Roscoe Pico trains uh, police car into the lake. So I'd always, you know, because they, they were, you know, 
if you guys remember Deuce of Hazard, but they were always chasing, and eventually the police car would land in a lake or a pond, and that would be my fish, and I usually freaked it out, and it died. So, so that wouldn't happen, though, in this, in this scenario, right? They, yeah, they, the fish wouldn't die up there. So maybe I'm just onto something. Or maybe I just need to let, let go of that, too. All right, stop making excuses for myself. It wasn't the solid people we were singing. It was the earth. It was, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I really enjoyed the way he described it. It was something that was wonderful, but yet at the same time indescribable. Couldn't, you couldn't describe it. Yeah, and uh, I think this, I think I asked that question. So the narrator now, a few chapters back, we had a lot of questions about whether the management had you know, ulterior motives going on. But now he sees a conversion, full conversion. And now uh, things have changed now. This is, this is a hinge in the story. And then you'll see, to a greater extent, in the next couple chapters, how glorious now this conversion can happen. And what it means for, not only for the creation, but for the people itself. Because he takes off on the horse. Now the horse is huge, Right? Now, was the man huge, too? Yeah. They're both right. The size of the angel, right? The angel was huge. Yeah, you know, uh, this is, um, I didn't put this in the notes, but the uh, Irenaeus, he's an early church father, and he describes, he goes at length describing kind of heaven. Uh, you know, theoretically, this is all speculative, but the idea is that as, we, as you get to heaven, you, ex- you experience more of life. And so if you experience more, right, of course things have to be bigger. I mean, if you're, if you're going to eat a grape that's more than grapes here, one of the ways that they're more is not only they taste better, but they're huge. Uh, and so you know, Lewis picks up on this, is that there's this, it's a, it's a very majestic experience. It's, it's, it's more. Because not only do we see that in the sights and sounds, but in the, now in the, the, the people and the animals. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. All right, there's a lot more to talk about. We, didn't, we, we kind of scratched the surface a bit, but um, oh yeah, there's also a scene from Godfather Part 3, The Full Confession. I think that's, that's a very interesting little uh, video to watch in terms of what it means to actually confess things. Uh, Michael Corleone starts the, the, his confession with this cardinal, and the, he basically starts kind of confessing things that everybody knows. You know, hey, I, I'm, you know, I stole and I cheated on my wife, and but the one sin that was really holding him back was the fact that he killed his brother, and the the the, the cardinal basically gets it out of him. And it's a very dramatic experience. So you can Google both of those and check that out. It's well worth your time. If it wasn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. Anything else? I, I, there's, again, if we start something, it's going to be another 20 minutes. Because so. I, I, I love the brass is mistaken for gold more easily than clay. And if it finally refuses conversion, its corruption will be worse than the corruption of what ye call the lower passions. That's very interesting. 
Um, oh, don't you know that you can't hurt anyone in this country? I thought that was brilliant because the mother mother loved ghosts, right? She really wanted to stick it to him, and he, <laughs> he kind of laughed. I thought that was great. Well, we'll just leave, we'll leave it at that because it'll be another 20 minutes if I start talking. <laughs> but uh, you, you might want to talk about this next week with Pastor Bukes is uh, just how, yeah, how the solid people handled because we didn't really talk too much about that over the course of the study. But that would be really helpful because nothing offends them. And nothing can actually take their joy away. Yeah, interesting. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.